Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either he will love, hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Materialism is one of the greatest dangers that beset man's soul. It's no wonder that we find our Lord speaking strongly about it. It is an insidious, specious, plausible enemy. It seems so innocent to pay close attention to our business. It seems so harmless to seek our happiness in this world, so long as we keep clear of open sins. Yet here is a rock on which many make shipwreck to all eternity. They lay up treasure on earth and forget to lay up treasure in heaven. May we all remember this. Where are our hearts? What do we love best? Are our chiefest affections on things in earth or things in heaven? Life or death depends on the answer we can give to these questions. If our treasure is earthly, our hearts will be earthly also. For where your treasure is there will your heart be. Those words were written uh, just over a hundred years ago, but we hear them today, I think, probably with equal strength and I think they're equally applicable. Not one of us here, I guess, escapes the clutches of uh, the culture that defines people and judges people by what they have in their possession. This is not a new struggle, is it? There's a reason that Jesus, in all of his teaching, uh, turns to this subject more than any other. Eleven of his 39 parables are on the subject of money and possession. It is claimed that one of every seven verses of Luke's gospel is on the subject of money and our possessions. Why? Because we all struggle. Our hearts, our affections, our desires, our minds are concerned with the things that we can touch, that we can buy, that we can accumulate possessions. I went to the city on Thursday to have lunch with someone. I was waiting outside a bank just for a few moments and I was there for just this short while and I was fairly smartly dressed as I generally do when I go up to the city but I wasn't really smartly dressed like many of the people. That is not formally, no tie, no suit. In that short time I knew what people were thinking of me as they came out the entrance of that bank. I could see it. Uh, and I began to think, uh, well, I'm not one of these people. They, they were quite clear that I wasn't one of these people. And I, 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 in my shame, I started looking around thinking, I, I probably should go and buy a suit somewhere. I may have even have to get a tie. And I started looking around thinking, does that shop sell ties? I'm not sure. I might go and get one. It's very sad. And I didn't want just any kind of suit. I thought, I probably need to get a suit like that gentleman there. And that looked like a very, very expensive suit. 
And it was very clear I was being judged by the very wealthy men and women of that bank. And to my shame, I thought the remedy was to join them. To get the expensive suit, to, to be part of them, to fit in. Let me tell you another little story if I can. On December the 24th, as you're doing just before Christmas, getting ready for it, I was clearing out the house, had to go up to the tip. And I pulled up to a, a man who had a car very similar to mine. And uh, we began chatting, we started talking cars, where well, he mentioned mine. And, and then we got talking about life and family and all the kind of things like as you do. He unloaded his car, I unloaded my car. Yeah, we were having a great time up at the tip. It was wonderful. And we were about to leave, and, uh, and I was about to leave, and I sort of said, I was about to say goodbye. And he was taking the last thing out of the boot of his car, and it was a toaster, a really expensive, nice toaster. And I asked him, why on earth are you throwing that away? Is it broken? He went, he sort of looked at the toaster, he looked at me, and then looked at the toaster again, and then looked at me again, and he said, I haven't a clue. That is, it worked this morning when I toasted my bagel, um, but I think my wife's changing the decor in our, in our kitchen. It doesn't quite match with the colour on the wall, and therefore I'm getting rid of this very expensive toaster. The interesting thing was he was visibly disappointed and ashamed. But I got a new free toaster and I was very happy and I... <laughs> I handed my toaster onto someone who also needed a toaster. It was a brilliant day in my book. Now, the point of those two small episodes in my life, my rather uneventful life up at the tip, is that the pressure's huge, isn't it? The pressure is huge. And all of us feel it. Our society is obsessed with the notion that happiness, meaning and security and purpose is found in what we have, what we can get hold of, or how big our bank balances are. Rarely, one, rarely would anyone express it in terms like that, I don't think, but the reality is that the ultimate in so many people's lives is something they can possess or that can long to possess. Now hear me right, uh, you know, it isn't the fact that possessions and wealth can't bring happiness. They can momentarily, but not ultimately. And we see that all around us, and perhaps inside ourselves too. Look around, it's amazing, isn't it? For all the wealth in which we live around, and you know what people have got, isn't it amazing that they're never fully satisfied? They find themselves always wanting more, always disappointed that the dream that they've worked so hard for, that they saved so hard for, it was never really fully met the expectations when they finally got it. And as Christians, many of us live balancing our lives, which we're ultimately trying to find our security, our meaning, our purpose in Christ. And yet again and again and again, we tip over the other way. And we begin accumulating like everyone else, searching for the next treasure. Into our culture and every culture, Jesus speaks these extraordinary words that we just heard read. And he uses, just cast your eyes down to the passage that we've heard, he uses three metaphors that, now they don't directly deal with how we spend our money. Rather, they go deep into our hearts, I think. Into our minds, to show us perhaps why. Why we spend our money. And so much more I hope to show you. The first metaphor, let's go to it if we can. It's that of treasure. You see that on your sheets. Verse 19 to 21. Let me refresh you if I can. Verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth 
and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So there's two treasures here. Two treasures, as you see on your outlines there. Let me just quickly go through the kind of structure of these uh, just three (laughs) verses. Begins with a negative command, do not store up, treasure for yourself on earth. Followed by the positive, do uh, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And he finishes with this little state, it's this pithy kind of statement, isn't it? Uh, some people say, you know, look at it. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Now let's look at it together. Interestingly, if you looked at ancient literature at the time, there's nothing like this with regard to money at all. Wherever you look, there's no parallel. This would have been uniquely shocking then as it is today. When Jesus speaks of treasure, it's very simple. It's as we think. It's it's fine clothing, it's precious metals, it's jewels, it's gold. It's all of that kind of stuff, literally. But the metaphor or figure of speech as it is, uh, speaks of, look at it, it's, it's thieves breaking in and stealing that treasure. Literally, it's digging through the wall. I think that's the parallel made in ancient times because that's how thieves used to get into houses. Mud walls and so on, they should break through because a lot of people would put their valuables underneath the kind of floor. So break through the weak bit, get under the floor, and you've got it. That's the image that's being kind of portrayed here in this metaphor by Jesus. But the point that Jesus is making is rather simple. He's saying is, if you go after that kind of treasure, earthly treasure, it is a precarious pursuit. And you see why, he gives reasons why. Whether it's the natural laws of, of nature with moth and rust that can take them away, or it's just the fallenness, the evil of man, who will come in and nick it. Storing up treasure on this earth is a futile pursuit, he's saying. And hence Jesus' command, note its command here, do not. Please note Jesus isn't saying that we must all then, right, let's go and sell our houses today. Or we should, you know, oh, we can't have that car. Or, you know, or we must live in relative poverty. He's not saying that. Nowhere in the Bible is what's called asceticism encouraged. That is, it's saying, I'm more godly because I live without. There's none of that here. And neither is Jesus condemning wealth as well. If you're wealthy here, it's not that. Please don't hear condemnation from Jesus simply because you've either earned well or inherited well. That's not what's going on here. And please don't hear that it isn't right to have savings. Proverbs 6, for example, makes it very, very clear that that is a sensible and wise course in life. We must not despise the good things in life that we're able to enjoy. Whether it's a holiday or clothes or, you know, a car or food. These things are good. 1 Timothy 4, for example, says they're not to be rejected, but appreciated with thanksgiving to God. So if someone gives you a bit of a treat, you're not to say, oh, no, thank you very much. I don't do that kind of stuff. No, you're to appreciate it and to be thankful to them and to God. For example, that you guys had a bit of a whip round, I think, and you bought me a lovely voucher for my uh, birthday last year. Didn't manage to use it until December, and Sarah and I went out for a lovely meal. We had a great time. Should I sit there and go sort of, you know, my hands over my head, going, oh, I can't believe I'm eating creme brulee at this restaurant. You know, no, I should be thankful. Thank you. To you and to God. If you go on a holiday, you're to enjoy it. 
to appreciate it, to let it to be the recreation that it should be, and be thankful to God. See, what Jesus is commanding here is not against money nor wealth. He's speaking against the selfish accumulation of wealth, the greed that can so easily consume us. And the, the warnings in the New Testament here, well, you could go, we could spend a whole 24 hours looking at them all. There's more teaching on the use of our money in the New Testament than anything else. Look at Luke 12, verse 15, when you get home, or 1 Timothy 6, verse 9. Luke tells us to be on our guard against it. And Paul warns Timothy that being rich is a trap that leads to temptation. Hey, I think we all put our, should put ourselves in that camp of fairly rich. But what Jesus is teaching in this passage is broad. It's broader than just money. The treasure described, though literally it's, it's pointing to jewels and gold and all this kind of stuff, I think because of the context, he's saying it's more than that. It's where you get your satisfaction in this life. What things thrill you? Keep in your mind. What do you daydream about? The warning is there because those things pass away too, just like your possessions and your money. You see... I, I guess some of you, you're not thinking about, hey, I, I, you're not setting our heart and mind on getting a huge bank balance. That's not the kind of treasure in my heart and mind. For some of you, it just may be you're having a home and you want to do it up or, you know, you want to have a bigger home, an extender home or a better home, certainly in your friends down the road. You know, that kind of thing. It's a deadly pursuit. You can't take it with you. For some of us, uh, I guess it would be the treasure of family. That's where your thoughts are. The time and the energy is placed in, and one scholar put it this way, the most widely accepted form of narcissism in our culture. It's also one of the greatest sins of the church today in this country. You see, what happens if your family is your treasure? If you obsess about the family and everything, time, energy, mind, it's all to do with the family. What happens? Well, where before you used to invite your friends to church and you used to make the gospel go out, you haven't got time for them anymore. Where you, uh, you know, used to care for people in the local area, your neighbours, oh no, it's, it's all family now. It can be a crushing idol. One American pastor said this, he said, ironically, a young mum can be the most selfish soul in the world. What is your treasure? Oh, it could be all sorts of things. Your holidaying, your travelling, your clothing, your cars, your bank balance. Whatever is everything to you, that is your treasure. And Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And the warning is here, you can't take it with you. You're going to leave it all. And so Jesus begins, that's, that's why the negative's there to start with. Uh, but he also mentions the positive. Look at verse 20 with me if you can now. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now clearly this is not saying that uh, as you live a faithful life as a Christian that you'll be rewarded in such a way to gain salvation. We can't ignore the rest of the whole of the New Testament in that we know that only through faith in Christ, through his sacrifice and his death on the cross 
and through his life being substituted, as we saw earlier, to us, can we ever have salvation through him, eternal salvation and forgiveness of sins? See, what Jesus is saying is that Christians, people saved through his life, his death and his resurrection, faithful people will be positively rewarded. There's treasure in heaven. Now, this is a kind of teaching, a doctrine that we don't hear much about within the church. But it's throughout the New Testament. For example, in 1 Timothy 6, verse 19, it speaks about laying up treasures in heaven. It uses the same phrase. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12, if you want to look at that later, speaks of, it says, of laying a foundation now that on the final day, the day it just says there, it will be brought to light. That is, there is proper reward. Love for God, faithfulness in serving God, brings reward from him. There's treasure in heaven. I know what we're all thinking. So tell us, what is the treasure? What we do know is that, of course, it would be far better than any treasure we strive for now, far beyond anything within our dreams. So, of course, in me, it's kind of a Porsche and a Lamborghini can put together, somewhere like that. You know, no, it's ridiculous. It's far beyond anything. It could just even be the thankfulness of Christ, to glory in Christ forever. There's no greater treasure. Of course, the Bible is vague on exactly what it is. Because I guess in my sinful heart, if I could quantify what the treasures in heaven would be, would I have a strain for it? Would I invest in it? We perhaps might look at my li- our lives and just go, hey, well, I've done this, 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 this. I've probably got enough treasure right now, yeah? So what are the facts? Treasure on earth is temporal and treasure on, in heaven is eternal. So I guess it, it's good to ask a few questions, isn't it? How much difference will your earthly treasures make? We have to ourselves, are we making the right investments in our lives now? And do think... It is a command from Jesus. Store up treasures in heaven. Why? Well, let's turn to verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Oh, the heart is so much deeper than the kind of, you know, the, the kind of Valentine's kind of stuff and the affections that we kind of put it to, into now. What Jesus is talking about here is far deeper, far more profound. Your heart to him is really the essence of who you are, the core of who you are. And so therefore Jesus is saying something like this in verse 21. Where your treasure is, is where all of you will be. Your total being will be where your treasure is. One scholar described verse 21. I thought this was a lovely picture. He just said it was a gracious mirror to each of us. Again, Jesus isn't saying that thinking about Loved ones or families, colleagues and friends and so on is wrong. They are good things. But the question is, I guess from verse 20 was, what occupies us? Our thought life, our dreams, our hopes. What do you kind of like, in those moments where you stare out the window, work, not that you have, have much time at all, but when, you, when you're daydreaming, what do you think about? Is it a car? Is it a house? Is it a relationship? Perhaps I can ask a few more questions that I was reading this week. It certainly have helped me. It says, see myself in the mirror, verse 21. Here's some questions. What, what do we worry about the most? 
It's your treasure. What is the thing that we dread losing the most? It's your treasure. What is the thing that we measure other people by? Think how you do that, what they're wearing, their education, their success in their work. What, thing, what is the thing that we measure other people by? It's your treasure. What is it that we, if we didn't have it, we know that we wouldn't be happy? It's your treasure. See, the great thing is, if your heart is set on heavenly treasures, there your heart will be also. But of course, the converse is true here, and that's the warning. If your heart is set on earthly treasures, there your heart will be also. It is a gracious mirror. Hold it up. See who you are. And what is that picture like? And what do you need to do? God is not a spoil sport. He wants us to enjoy life. This is not asceticism. Get rid of everything. But Jesus' command is clear. Lay up treasures in heaven. Faithful living. Heavenly mindedness. Hold the mirror up and obey his command. Secondly, though, we go to, it, it, it's kind of, I put it there, it's shortened there, for two eyes. Here we go, second point, verse 22, 22. Let's look at the second metaphor. <laughs> Hope this helps as well. The eye is a lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is within you, if, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, the eye here, is, it's a very simple picture. We won't spend as much time on this one at all. The eye is it's pictured, I guess, like a window into which light gets into the body. Of course, the quality of the window uh, really matters here, doesn't it? Clearer window, more light comes in, and so on. If it's clean, lots of light. If it's dirty, very little light. And what Jesus is saying here is that what comes into our minds and, our, and into our hearts, it comes through our eyes. And it depends completely on the health or the spiritual condition of our eyes. Now Proverbs in the Old Testament section of the Bible, the wisdom literature, picks up on this kind of thinking with the eye and so on. And it speaks of an unhealthy or an evil eye that is a begrudging spirit. Proverbs 23, for example, verse 6. And that results in a kind of darkness of life. By contrast... The righteous, spiritually healthy person with the good eye is a generous person in Proverbs. Proverbs 11. The point here is that if your eye is generous, then your whole body will be full of light through that generosity. If your eye is lacking generosity, your life is going to be full of darkness. I guess some of us can say all the right things. We can turn up all the right events we know our Bibles incredibly well. We may even lead Bible studies or be on the staff team and so on. But perhaps even us, we might be fixed on material things. And the point here with these little metaphors, it darkens everything. We justify it to ourselves, don't we, thinking we have some sort of right to a certain standard of living. We think we can't be happy unless we have this and this and this and this. But what is happening in reality? If your eyes are fixed on the, the earthly treasure, it will cloud your understanding of everything. Your happiness, 
because you will always think more stuff will bring you greater joy. It will cloud your understanding of your success. You'll think that you haven't succeeded unless you drive that, live in that, in relationship with that, and so on. It will cloud your understanding of the worth of others. Because you'll begin to look down on others who don't live in the same social strata as you. It will cloud your understanding of even life itself because you'll set goals for yourself and also if you're a parent, for your children as well that prioritise earthly treasures, not heavenly treasures. Basically it clouds everything. Our present, our future, God's will for us, even the Bible itself, it can so easily be just become so dark. And you'll end up walking around with this tragic air of dissatisfaction because nothing that you can grab hold of, an earthly treasure, will ever satisfy you. Sitting in a coffee shop the other day, I overheard this lady, I, I do sit in coffee shops occasionally, I do listening, but there they were having this conversation, and this lady was berating her builders, I don't know who the builders were, because they painted the bathroom, and they're on the third colour, and she still wasn't happy. And what a waste of money that was. And a waste of a woman as well. That she would be thinking about these things and her time and her heart and her effort was consumed by getting the right tone of light brown. No one dared to say anything sensible around her. Three other women. They sat for ten minutes listening to this other woman. None of one dared to say something sensible like stop being so picky and get a life or anything like that. You know, Why? Because the three women were acutely aware of their own darkness. We have a choice. Two eyes. Healthy eyes or unhealthy eyes. The healthy eye, it sees heavenly treasure and loves it. It's generous. It's satisfied. It views the world with thankfulness and pushes away greed and envy. Or the unhealthy eye, it sees earthly treasures and it chases it. It stores up but is endlessly dissatisfied. And it's a very dark existence, Jesus is warning here. And you deceive yourself daily. You think that getting that thing, that will provide light. But it doesn't. You get it? It's light for a moment, but then the darkness comes as you see someone else has got the bigger and the better model. If then, look at it, the, the light within you is darkness. How great is that darkness? I just wonder, if, can Jesus be any clearer? Some of you guys know Philip Cooper. I mentioned him earlier. It's, uh, he did a men's breakfast for us. I, I think it was him. But I remember an elder in my previous church who was, was asked, what's the best bonus that you've ever had? And I think it was him. But he responded something like this. It's the one I gave away completely to the work of Christ. Let me explain. I, I want to just use this kind of uh, as an illustration, this, uh, this, uh, this, these two verses. Ask yourself, what's the best Christmas present that you've ever known? Was it something you received or was it something you gave to someone? What's the best meal that you've ever enjoyed? The, the, the best book that you've ever enjoyed? It's usually, isn't it, those ones that we've given to others. That we've seen light in them. And enjoyed it ourselves. Light comes into our whole bodies with the healthy and the generous eye. Because it, God promises it. That's the way we've been made. 
It's responding to the generosity that Christ has poured out on us. And to link it with the first metaphor, it's storing up treasures in heaven. Two treasures, two eyes, finally two masters very quickly. Look at verse 24 as we close. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And what he's saying here, Jesus is not saying that you know, kind of money is a kind of moral thing. It's, it's amoral. It's neither good nor it's bad. The questions about money in the Bible are not aimed at money itself. It's what goes on in the heart of those who have money that Jesus addresses. The amount of money that you have, that you own uh, and possess, is not the issue here at all. You could be a millionaire or unemployed on benefits. Someone on benefits could be miserly and covetous. A banker could be generous and warm-hearted. And it's interesting, those, interestingly, those who sometimes who have the least money can love it the most. But the love of money, as uh, Paul says to Timothy, is the root of all evil. And this is the point that Jesus is making here. He's saying, hey, there's no middle ground. You can't serve both and think you're going to get away with it. You will prefer one over the other. And Jesus is like forcing you to decide, to make, to make you aware in your own heart and mind. Which is it? Both, you see, demand everything of you. Material things, money demands our affections, our energy, just as God does. But God, who has offered salvation through his Son, Jesus Christ, says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. If you think you can live by balancing yourself between your love of money and your love of God, you are absolutely deceiving yourself. You just can't do it. It is why so many faithful, godly Christians down the ages for example, have given so much away in the past. John Wesley, I was reading about this week, actually formed the Methodist Church, of which this building is part of that heritage. John Wesley, uh, someone did some calculations, and uh, he's reputed to have been a multimillionaire in the tens of millions by the time that he uh, died. It's reputed to, um, to, uh, to have happened that at the point when he retired, he was giving up to 90% of his monthly income. So how can you tell which is your master? When things get tough, which is the first to go? John Wesley knew the answer to that. Is it God or is it money? Which one are you going to serve? Look, three metaphors. I wanted to be uh, fairly quick. I haven't been really quick, but there's been two treasures, two eyes, two masters. I guess there's so much to think about. And I hope so much to pray about too. How are you going to respond? Let me pray as we close. Heavenly Father, I guess as those of us who are Christians here, we long to serve you, we long to honour you, and we do it in so many ways. And that sometimes is, is okay. And yet the use of our money, it seems perhaps the hardest thing. 
Hence why you taught on it so often. And I pray that as we hear these words, these three little metaphors, these figures of speech, may we hear them rightly. Lord, I guess some of us have got some very tough decisions to think about. What is our master? What treasures do we long for in life? Are they earthly or heavenly? Lord, there are big questions and I pray that we would humbly come before your word. Please change us, make us more like your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave everything. Amen.